0: So, what is the Lord's Supper? Every Sunday, at least in this church, every Sunday we pray together and we sing together, we read the Bible together, and we sit under the preaching together, and then we take communion together. We come to the Lord's table. We... Take the Lord's Supper together, communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, three terms to describe the same exact thing. This thing that we do together as a church every Sunday in obedience to Jesus Christ. But do we know what we're doing? Do we think about what it is that we're doing every Sunday or has it become... Wrote and insignificant through its formality. And so we're just going through certain motions. Without thinking about what it actually is to eat this bread together and drink this juice together, are we doing something or is something being done to us? Is something being done in us? Do we understand what the bread means? Do we understand what the cup means? What should we be thinking about during the Lord's Supper? What should our attitude be during the Lord's Supper? Who should take communion? And should those who take it ever not take it? Why not? So, for some of you, maybe this doesn't seem like a big deal. Maybe, maybe you don't care. Maybe it even feels like a, a waste of time to desert, to devote four weeks to baptism and communion. I can think back to my early 20s, and that's probably exactly how I would have felt. And that's not a surprising reflex in Christians that are abounding in comfort and peace and freedom. Historically speaking, sorting out and standing for truth really costs us relatively little. To sort out what we believe and then to stand on what we believe, it really doesn't cost us, historically speaking, That much, and so we can easily take these things that we say we believe for granted, but it has not always been that way. In fact, there was a day not all that long ago when Christians were willing to die, and they did die. A day when Christians were willing to die over their convictions about the Lord's Supper. John Rogers, Thomas Cranmer, Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley, to name a few, they were burned at the stake in the 1550s in large part because they disagreed with the Roman Catholic Church over the Lord's Supper. J.C. Ryle writes. Did they or did they not believe that the body and blood of Christ were really, that is corporally, literally, locally, and materially, present under the forms of bread and wine after the words of consecration were pronounced? Did they or did they not believe that the real body of Christ, which is born of the Virgin Mary, was present on the so-called altar so soon as the mystical words had passed the lips Of the priest. Those men did not believe that. They did not believe that. And so they and hundreds of others. Including women and children. They died. As they stood. For the truths that these sermons contain. Regarding the Lord's Supper. So if they were willing to die. And here's my introductory appeal. If they were willing to die, shouldn't we be willing to seriously consider what the Lord's Supper is? and What it is that we're doing? What it is, what it isn't. What it represents. What we're doing. What's being done to us and in us. We should at least be willing to consider The Lord's Supper and to be resolved as far as we can in our minds, what communion is and and what it is not. I pray that you are with me. And now let's pray together for God's help. Father in heaven. There are often things that we know that we're supposed to do, but. We don't necessarily know how to do them or why we do them. And sometimes, God, we find a treasure that we've been missing in our relationship with you. And I suspect that the Lord's supper could be one of those overlooked or undervalued treasures. And so would you please come now and give us a new or renewed heart of excitement and thanksgiving about the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find that text on page 781. The past two weeks, we've immersed ourselves in the study of baptism. And now, let's sit down at the Lord's table And consider this mark of every true church for 1900 years and counting. We'll start with the very first Lord's Supper, which is what we have here in Matthew chapter 26. It took place on the night Jesus was betrayed in a small room with his 12 closest friends. Before we get into it, I just want to show you two things. First, Luke chapter 22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 make clear that what happened in that room with Jesus and his closest friends, that that is what is supposed to happen in this room. What happened then is a model for us. That was the first, and that is what we are continuing. That is what we are reenacting Jesus told them and he told us do this in remembrance of me so the Lord's Supper it is like baptism it is an ordinance that has been commanded by Christ that's why we take it so seriously that's why we spend time and think it's worth taking a few weeks to consider deeply what baptism is and what the Lord's Supper is Jesus told us to do them So we want to do them well. The second thing I want to show you is the context. Look with me at our text, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And look at the verses right before. Verses 17 through 25. And they have above them, in most of your Bibles, the heading, the Passover, with the disciples. That means that this supper that we're going to read about between Jesus and his disciples. It means that. This supper, which will become known as the Lord's Supper, was first taking place at a Passover meal. These Jews had gathered together in this small room to eat a special meal together A meal that was only eaten once per year to commemorate, to remember the Jewish Passover. The main course of that meal, it would have been a lamb to remind the Jews of the night God began to save them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So let's remember that. Or if you haven't heard the story. Hear it for the first time. If you go way back in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus begins. And God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And God calls a man named Moses to lead his people to freedom. And so Moses reluctantly but obediently stands before Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, and he demands that he release God's people to go home and to worship God, and Pharaoh refuses, and so God sends, God pressures him with nine plagues, nine horrible plagues, and then God pronounces a tenth plague. And the final plague that God pronounces will result in His people being released. God was going to kill every firstborn in Egypt. That was God's warning to Egypt. And as He warns Egypt, then in Exodus 12, He gives a word to His people, to Israel, and He institutes the first. Passover. And that Passover is what Jesus and his disciples are remembering in that upper room. So on that original Passover night, the head of each house, this was in obedience to God, was to take a male lamb without blemish. So each home, the head of that home was to find as perfect a lamb as he could find, and it was to be sacrificed. And then the blood from that sacrifice was to be spread on the posts of the front door. And then it was to be spread above the door. And God explained to his people that that blood from that unblemished lamb would be a sign to them and a sign to God. And when God saw the blood, he would pass over. He would pass over the home, and he would spare the firstborn from judgment. Then he told the family to get dressed. Get dressed. Tie your shoes. Put on your coat. As if you are ready to run for your lives. And then sit down at the table and eat the Lamb. God tells his people that future generations were to continue this yearly observance. By it they would remember their salvation from Egypt and they would be looking forward to their future deliverance from sin. So that is the supper That is the meal that Jesus is eating with his disciples the night before he would be sacrificed as the Lamb of God for the sins of his people so that their souls could be mercifully passed over. This is no coincidence. So he's about to sit down with them, and they're going to have a meal. And this meal is remembering how God saved them by the blood of this unblemished lamb. That they deserved death, just like the Egyptians deserved death. They weren't better people than the Egyptians. They were sinners, just like the Egyptians. But God was willing, in his mercy, to pass over them. And he would pass over them when he saw the blood of this unblemished lamb. And so Jesus takes that meal and he turns it into this other meal that we partake of every Sunday. And he did it on the night before he would be sacrificed as the unblemished lamb of God. He was about to become the true Passover lamb. Which meant that that Passover meal was the culmination of every single Passover meal that had been taken before. His body and blood. His body and blood was about to be given for them and countless others, which he will symbolize in this supper that he's having with them. So for Israel to be freed from bondage to Egypt, an unblemished lamb had to be sacrificed. For sinners to be freed from bondage to sin, the lamb of God must be sacrificed is the picture. So Peter writes in his first chapter of his first letter in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we've read cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ, our Passover Lamb. He is our Passover Lamb, Christians. Christ is your Passover Lamb. And by His own sacrifice, we can be mercifully passed over. So at Passover, they consumed the animal that was sacrificed. And at the Lord's Supper, we consume symbols of Christ crucified. So those are the roots of this meal that Jesus is about to have with his disciples. So with that background in mind, let's read our text now. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, eating the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he said this in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And so this was the last supper of Jesus with his people until the marriage supper of the lamb. Described in Revelation 19. That's what he's looking forward to in verse 29. So let's go back and read this more carefully. First, we're told in verse 26, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is My body. Jesus did not mean this literally. His body was before them. The bread symbolized His body, which would be broken. And we're told that He... Broke it before them. No one else broke it. Pilate wouldn't break it. The Jews would not break it. Christ would break it. He had said this before in John 10. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So, the bread that symbolizes his body, he broke his body. He broke the bread before them. And then he gave it to them. And then he instructed them to eat. And they consumed the bread. Which was his body. Next in verse 27. Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks. He gave it to them saying. Drink of it. All of you. Again Jesus did not mean. That this was literally his blood. The cup cup symbolized his blood. That would be shed. So the bread which is his body. Was broken. And the cup which is his blood was poured out. And he poured the wine. He gave them the cup. And then he instructed them to drink. And he says this about it in verse 28. It is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now. In those two short sections about the bread and the juice, I have said something about the bread and about the juice that cannot be taken for granted. The bread is a symbol. The cup is a symbol. I want you to see how important this is. It is not the bread and the juice. It is not actually the body and the blood of Jesus, though that is what is taught by the Roman Catholic Church. That teaching is called transubstantiation, and that is what those Christians in the 1550s died denying. This Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation believes that during communion... By consecration, the bread and the wine actually become, they actually change into the physical body and blood of Jesus. It is unknown to your senses, but it actually changes into the body and blood of Jesus. They believe that through the Lord's Supper every time. That Christ is sacrificed again for the forgiveness of your sins. And that is based on a misinterpretation of John chapter 6. Here is what our confession, which I quoted last week in regarding baptism and now this week regarding the Lord's Supper. This is from chapter 30, paragraph 2. Listen to how big a deal this was in 1689. In this ordinance, they're making a clarification about the Lord's Supper. Christ is not offered up to His Father, nor is any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sin of the living or the dead. It is only a memorial of the one offering Christ made of Himself on the cross once for all. It is also a spiritual offering... Of the highest possible praise to God for that sacrifice. And then listen to what they wrote. Thus, the Roman Catholic sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is utterly detestable and detracts from Christ's own sacrifice, which is the only propitiation for all the sins of the elect. So what is the big deal? What is the big deal with that doctrine? And again, J.C. Ryle puts it into perspective. Grant for a moment that the Lord's Supper is a sacrifice and not a sacrament. You spoil the blessed doctrine of Christ's finished work when He died on the cross. A sacrifice that needs to be repeated is not a perfect and complete thing. You spoil the priestly office of Christ. If there are priests that can offer an acceptable sacrifice to God besides Him, the great high priest is robbed of His glory. You overthrow the true doctrine of Christ's human nature. If the body born of the Virgin Mary can be in more places than one at the same time, it is not a body like our own, and Jesus was not the last Adam in the truth of our nature. Jesus died once for all he does not need to die again he does not need to be sacrificed again it is not like this old testament passover meal that's done over and over and over again and a lamb is sacrificed and then next year another lamb and another lamb and another lamb he is the perfect lamb of god first peter 318 for christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. But made alive in the spirit. In Romans 6.10. For the death he died to sin. Once for all. But the life he lives. He lives to God. In Hebrews 9.12. He entered once. For all. Into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption that is why it is so wrong to teach that in communion the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice is actually changed into the physical body of Jesus Christ. And that it is being sacrificed again on the altar for the forgiveness of sin. Christ died once for all. We are saved, Christians. We are saved We have been delivered. We have been rescued. We have been redeemed because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He is our true Passover lamb. No other sacrifice is needed. No more sacrifices are needed. One sacrifice. You and I, we are sinners. We have no rightful claim to anything good from God. There's nothing good in me that is of me that I can point to and demand that God give me mercy and that God give me grace and that he bless me and provide for me. And then someday when I die... Welcome me to live with him forever in heaven. I can't come up with any good reason in and of myself for him to do that. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm a sinner. I've gone my own way. I've said no to God. I've disobeyed God. I've dishonored God. I've ignored God. I've failed to do what he wants me to do. And I've done the things that He doesn't want me to do. And so I'm rightfully under God's judgment. I don't deserve His mercy. I deserve His judgment. I deserve to be punished for what I've done. I don't only deserve to be punished for what I've done. I deserve to be punished for who I am. I'm a rebel at heart. And so to be extended life... And provision is already a grace and mercy. But then when I die as I have. And if I've lived away from God, I don't deserve to go to be with God. I deserve to be alienated from God forever to suffer punishment and justice forever. I have no claim on anything good from God. My sin has to be punished. My sin has to be paid for. Now, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and you've put your faith in Jesus, you've taken hold of Jesus, you've heard the good news of who He is and what He's done, you've believed this. And you've put all your trust and all your reliance in Him and not in yourself. And now you live for Him imperfectly. But now you live for Him. To love Him, follow Him, and serve Him. Helped by the Holy Spirit. If that is you, the only way that you can have a relationship with God. The only way that you can have this promise of eternity in heaven waiting for you. Is because your sin Was punished in Jesus. Not that your sin is not punished. There was a sacrifice. One sacrifice. And it was Jesus Christ. And he came and died once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring us, to bring you and me to God. This is what Jesus is doing in that upper room. This is where he is bringing the hearts and the minds of his disciples as they sit in this room. This is what he is calling their attention to. That was the first Lord's Supper. And it is what we are reenacting every single Sunday. One more time, I'd like to read to you from the London Baptist Confession of Faith. This is in chapter 30, paragraph 1. And then we'll look at the Scripture and draw out two parts of this. The Supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by Him the same night He was betrayed. It is to be observed in His churches to the end of the age as a perpetual... And here are the two words we'll come back to. Remembrance and display of the sacrifice of himself and his death. It is given for, and we'll get into this part next week, God willing. It is given for the confirmation of the faith of believers in all the benefits of Christ's death. Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him. And their further engagement in and to all the duties they owe him. The supper is to be a bond and pledge of their communion with Christ and each other. So, two words as we think about what the Lord's Supper is a remembrance and a display. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. And it is a proclamation. This is not all the Lord's Supper is. We're two weeks looking at the Lord's Supper. But it is a memorial. And it is a proclamation. Let's get those two things in our mind today. Number one. It is a memorial. Christ told the disciples. And Paul told us. Do this. Eat this bread and drink this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So the Lord's Supper is a memorial. It is not only a memorial, but it is this time of remembrance. It is something done to preserve the memory of what Christ did on the cross. Listen to what the Puritan John Flavel wrote. The Lord's Supper is commemorative. And so it has the nature and use of a pledge of token of love. Left by a dying friend to a dear surviving friend. It is like a ring plucked off from Christ's finger. Or a bracelet from his arm. Or rather his picture from his breast. Delivered to us with such words as these. As oft as you look onto this, remember me. Let this help to keep me alive in your remembrance when I am gone and out of sight. It's for remembrance. It is like a token left by a dying friend to a dear surviving friend. Take this and do this and remember me. Regularly do this. Take this thoughtfully, heartfully, and remember me. The Lord's Supper is a memorial, it is intended to remind us of Jesus. To remind us of His cross. To remind us of our salvation. Of forgiveness. This tells me what I should be mindful of. As I'm preparing to take the Lord's Supper. Or if you're serving the Lord's Supper. As you're standing in line. As you're returning to your seat. As you're sitting down as you're actually eating the bread and drinking the cup. It is a gift from God to us so that we can remember what Jesus has done. Second, the Lord's Supper is a proclamation. It is a proclamation. It is a visual proclamation. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim. So we remember, but also proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So what's meant by the word display in the Lord's Supper. Something is on display like baptism. The Lord's Supper, it, it, it speaks. It says something. Here in this church, we we stand up at the Lord's Supper and we come forward and and we have small pieces of bread that are given to us and small cups that are given to us. And then we return to our seats and then we eat this bread together and then we drink these cups together. And all of that says something. All of that displays something, all of that. It proclaims something. It pictures the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for his people. It pictures his death. His body broken is pictured. His blood poured out is pictured for his people. And our faith is pictured. Our taking Hold of Jesus and taking in Jesus and trusting Jesus and by faith feeding spiritually on Jesus, it is on display for God, for angels, and for one another. We're reminded what we see ourselves doing, what we see our church family doing, what we see these other Christians doing. We are reminded that Jesus died for the sins of His people. And we need Him. We have to have Him. We must trust Him. We must take hold of Him. We must, John 6, consume Him. We must be nourished by Him. And it's on display. And it's proclaimed when we take the Lord's Supper together. And so G.I. Packer puts it like this. As the preaching of the word makes the gospel audible, so the sacraments make it visible. And God stirs up faith by both means. These ordinances therefore function as a means of grace on the principle that literally seeing leads to believing. So the Lord's Supper is a proclamation Visually proclaiming the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So in conclusion. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. Through which we remember. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper. Is a proclamation through which. We proclaim. The sacrificial death. Of Jesus Christ. Next week, God willing, we'll think about why we call it communion. So when we take the Lord's Supper. We are physically. Receiving into our bodies the bread. And the juice. And we are spiritually. By faith, receiving into our souls the life saving Life sustaining effects of the broken body and poured out blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is happening. That is happening. When we take the Lord's Supper together, we receive strengthening of our souls, we receive refreshing of our souls we are reminded of and proclaiming and receiving the benefits secured by his death and resurrection and these symbols that we have they 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 should and they can and by faith with right hearts and minds they will make these realities of what Christ has done plain to our senses Right now, as J.I. Packer pointed out, we are hearing the gospel. That's what's happening right now. As I'm preaching, you're hearing the gospel. God has given you ears and you can hear the gospel. But in the Lord's Supper, we taste the gospel. and We, we feel the gospel. And we see the gospel. It is proclaimed for us. See the bread and the juice today. Look at the bread and the juice and see God's people as they rise and they take and they eat. Feel the bread in your hands. And feel the cup. Smell the bread. Smell the cup. Taste the bread. And taste the juice. As you are able. This is the point. As you are able with every one of your God given glory detecting senses. Take these symbols. Of the body and blood of Christ. And remember his death in your place. And be a proclamation before Him and the angels and to those around you and let your hearts be filled with gratitude. 1 Corinthians 11, 11, verses 23-26. through Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread remembering together and proclaiming together the Lord's sacrificial death. If you're visiting with us today, you are invited to take the Lord's Supper with us if you are a baptized believer. If you have turned from sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ and trusted Him alone for your salvation and if... You are a part of a local church, whether it is this or another one that preaches the same gospel that you heard here today that describes you, then you are welcome to take communion with us. We have leaders who will serve from up front. We ask that you would come forward and take the bread and take the juice and then return to your seat and please wait and we'll take it together as a family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in response to your word today, we're turning our attention now to the death of your son. We thank you for these symbols that you've given us, which hold special importance for us. As we are reminded of the way of our salvation, may you be glorified as we remember and proclaim his sacrifice in our place so that we could be reconciled to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.